You are listening to The Think Tank, the unofficial NAFO podcast, brought to you by your best brain-damaged dogs and friends. Now please welcome your hosts, Matt, the TWAFO CEO, and Joe Place. So welcome to the Think Tank uh, with me and Joe. This week we'll be talking to Pekka of Vatnik Soup fame. Really looking forward to that. He's um, one of my favourite uh, follows on Twitter, um, especially the numerous weirdos that he's documented. We've got uh, lots of questions to get through on that one, I think. Quite looking forward to it. How about you? I am also excited. I mean, as much as we like soup in our tank, uh, Vatnik <laughs> soups. Well, well, I do like his Vatnik soups, but the idea of an actual Vatnik soup does not sound good. <laughs> uh, I think the is it the British Challenger tank has got a kettle and a yeah. toilet, um, so they don't actually have to leave the tank. So um... uh, this is actually why I chose the Challenger. Well, first of all, we're British, but, uh, but second of all. I like that it has a tea making facility, and so yeah. in my mind, our our tank makes soup. It's so. very important. Yep, warm warm food and drinks is very important, especially when you're blowing up um, Russian <laughs> artillery. I guess this before our guest comes on, we just talk about what what what's been going on lately this oh. last week. What's been going on? <laughs> <laughs> a few a few minor a few minor things. <laughs> um there's there's the there's the guy that um has been I, i've just been trolling as many of their posts as possible which is rfk so i'm looking forward to talking to packer about him because there is a vatnik soup about rfk he seems to be absolutely everywhere musk is promoting him david Sachs is promoting him everyone's from all the all the loons are promoting him um yeah he's he does there's something like he does well with both Republicans and Democrats, which I think why like some of the tech bros quite like him because they just look at numbers and go, "Ha, huh, this is how the Democrats can win." But I don't think he'll pass the primaries. I hope not. No. But yeah, I'm worried. I am a bit worried about him. It's interesting his life because he started off with like as an environmental guy, but yep. he just really hates hated vaccines, and now he's full on bought into the conspiracy world. Yep. And it says a lot about the anti-vax movement how it's. Almost everyone is promoting the most insane anti-vax stuff has then just come on to promote the most an- insane anti-Ukraine stuff. Yeah, they moved very easily on from Nazis making vaccines or uh, Jewish um, uh, people controlling vaccines from the World Economic Forum, you know, and they've just gone, oh, yeah, we can just turn everything into russians as well so we can we can promote that uh, there's nazis in ukraine they've been killing people in donbass blah 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 and it's and they've just sort of segued into it um seamlessly haven't they um yeah. it seems the, the two groups seem to be completely interchangeable it's just very very odd especially given that think- Ru- russia promoted its sputnik vaccine Right. Madly, didn't it? It was just they were selling it literally every day. You know, Sputnik vaccine is amazing, but they, that seems to have been completely overlooked. 
I think what's happened. So last week, last week when we recorded, there had just been the African delegation turning up. Whilst <laughs> there was a missile strike in Kiev, and one of the guys said, the South African, one of the South African delegates said he saw nothing. And it's like, what? Like you'd have heard the siren. Uh, it just completely lies. And I understand, you know, South Africa has a relationship with Russia, um, and in a way, they I can understand to an extent perhaps he depend on them in some sense you can't bite the hand that feeds you although the positive side of the the the, the their proposal plan is generally actually quite reasonable for ukraine some of them are a bit ambiguous but actually there is some where they go like mm-hmm. you know we should defend the borders so it, uh, in some ways I, I am quite good some of it i don't think goes far enough or is clear enough i was worried it was going to be worse so i think it could have been worse that was that was my thing although well, yeah a guy a guy denying that a strike happened when like he was in kiev and the sirens went off and there was a missile in kiev region that's just really bizarre <laughs> I, I don't want to i don't want to worry or anything but you do know it was a cover right it wasn't actually a peace mission right you, you know that don't you do you or not? Right. No, it was. No. It was. There was a secret. There wasn't. A, well, not a secret, but there was an arms deal done in the background. So uh-huh. there was a plane in Poland which was denied and denied exit rights from Warsaw. Um, it had the South African security delegation on it, which n- numbered 120 guys, and in the cargo hold there was at least 12 containers of high tech. Um, long-range sniper rifles bound mm-hmm. for the Russian army. So, so it turned it turned out the security detail was in fact were in fact trainers for this equipment. So what they were trying to just do this little peace tour, but secretly at the same time sell weapons to Russia. Yes, it was not mm-hmm. a peace deal. Is this South Africa or all of them? Because there was multiple countries. Uh, it seems to be mainly South Africa. Um, so if you take a look. Uh, I think there's an article in Newsweek and and things like that where the uh, the chap has um, detailed what happened. Uh, it's a Polish journalist, if I remember correctly. So that's interesting. I wonder if the whole, everyone was in on that. Whether there was any good intention. That's interesting. But why would they go to Ukraine first? That feels like uh, it was poorly executed. Then. Uh, yeah, it definitely was. It was uh, totally incompetent. Yeah. Ah, okay. It's interesting because. South Africa have a very similar relationship with Russia that India does in that I think they they still both see their relationship with Russia as the same as in the Soviet Union, you know, because um, the Soviets helped train a lot of the uh, anti-apartheid mm-hmm. uh, regime people. Yep. Uh, this And uh, the USSR also helped India. In, and I can understand perhaps some of the older generation, you know, they, they still have this association or they, they don't like the West or they think in terms of campism, right? They think in terms of, yeah. well, there's the West and the East, so we need, uh, like, there's West and Russia, so we need to pick our side, which is not, I'm not saying it's the right way to think, but I think that is the reason, let's say, that's the explanation. Yes, yes, it is, so. yeah. I mean, I think India is related to the um, the war in 1971 or 72, I can't remember off the top of my yes. head. Um, but that, but Russia provided some arms at that point. So from from then on, Indian nationalists will see Russia as the hero. Um, mm. But there you go. But yeah, so it was just a cover um, yeah. for an arms deal. Well, what else has happened? Um, I think the most, the funniest thing uh, in terms of the propaganda world, which, but it does bring me on to a serious point is Budinov apparently died, but he didn't die. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and um, War Gonzo apparently died, but didn't die as well. 
Oh, yeah, a lot of resurrections. <laughs> There's been a lot of resurrections. Although, luckily, Ukraine didn't feel the need to um, drag the drag Putin off onto TV. Um, but on but uh, on Russian TV, they dragged War Gonzo out and said, "So, although NAFO has said that you're you're dead, you're actually alive, aren't you?" And it's like we can now get people on Russian TV and get them to say proof that you are alive. So that's how that's our power now is that. We can oh, do yeah. that. <laughs> They're so thin-skinned. It's unbelievable. Oh, dear. Is, yeah. who, who, who should we say has died next and see if we can get them to appear on TV? I don't know. Um, hmm, who would be quite entertaining? <laughs> Patrick, Lang- oh, it's Patrick Lancaster. Patrick Lancaster. Graham. I was going to yeah. say him or Graham Phillips. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, please. Yeah, oh. I think one of one of those two would be lovely. What have you been? Have you been, um, have you sort of followed anything? Oh, we've got the nuclear, we've got nuclear threats again. I'm yeah. I'm actually quite worried about the nuclear plant. I'm gonna. I'm gonna lie. I'm actually a bit really nervous okay. about that um, because Ukraine is actually that they are doing. You know, Zelensky said that the Russians are prepared for something mm-hmm. to go wrong there. They are actually, Ukraine are like warning, telling people what to do in case something happens. They're preparing. I mean, I think it is a case of preparing. I think it's smart to be okay. prepared. Mm-hmm. But it is just quite worrying. Um, and I think, uh, again, I don't think like Russians will necessarily want to deliberately blow it up. But we, as we saw in Novokovka, they're very incompetent. And I think that's very... Yes, that's, that's, that's the worrying that's thing. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they, they, I think they just wanted to cause a bit of damage to the dam, but ended up completely annihilating it, didn't they? So Yeah, that seems to be the broad consensus now because, yeah, the explosions clearly must have came from inside. Um, and it does seem that a lot of the intelligence indicates that they meant to blow up something to just basically cause some minor flooding, but yeah, blew up the whole thing because it's Russia. Uh, and drowned and drowned a lot of <laughs> the their soldiers. They drowned a lot yeah. of their soldiers. Um, yeah. <sighs> so yeah, that's why I'm a bit nervous about the power plant because I'm just thinking, what if something happens? I mean, the the IAEA said there is no bombs in the cooling tap plants. That's not true, but Ukraine said there is. I don't know. I, I that's not something I want Russia to be dealing with, and I would quite like them if they left this place alone, really, because also it would affect them. It doesn't even make any sense. Just... Yeah, but it affected them with the dam, didn't it? No, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> It did, didn't it? Let's be honest, it, it did. And they carried on and did it anyway. It's very interesting how, so like with the Budano thing, uh, who, who was it who said he died? The TAS agency, I think. Was it Ria Novost? Uh, one of them, one of the Russian things. Yes. But, you know, I, I was getting Ukrainians telling me this happened, right? Saying, like, oh, there's rumours that he died and no one's seen him. And I think it's really interesting how, you know, no one is impervious to this propaganda this propaganda can spread um yeah. and it can spread because people see stuff that's reactions uh it can get to ukrainians a lot as well because they can uh if they're consuming some russian language stuff which might even be pro-ukraine that mm-hmm. they're a channel it, they could have got a source from somewhere they got a source from somewhere which comes back to disinformation so mm-hmm. it really can circle and spread and cause panic and it's really important that we always just remain vigilant when we see news stories and yeah, War Gunzo is the other one. We all got very excited that he died. I mean, it did look very like him, to be fair. Yeah, uh, I, I think I think I think we all um, just went on the bandwagon and thought we can wind up a lot of people here, and it, it did. We did succeed winding up a lot of people because they did actually drag him onto national TV. So I say, so are you dead? 
Oh dear, I just don't. I, I that's the that's the sort of trolling I I like. So yeah, it's nice effects in the real world. It's yeah, definitely, nice. definitely. I'm just trying to think of any uh, sort of copium, uh, anything from you. Uh, I know that the the same five tanks are being destroyed regularly at the moment, so <laughs> they're still they're still using those photos. <laughs> Oh yeah, and again, I want to restress this: people need to be careful not falling for this stuff because um, it's, it, it, it's slow. It's going to happen. I don't even think the counteroffensive has fully started yet. You know, actually, definitely, I think definitely not. Even said it's not. Yeah, you know, um, be calm. It will happen. It will happen. And yeah. it's funny how or so. This is what the, I suppose this is counts as copium. You know, all the um, they're all going like on Twitter all the crazy people you know they were saying stuff like oh yeah it's failing or ha it's gonna happen it's never gonna happen it's like well okay give it a week give it a month it will happen I'm sure I think actually we talked about this last week uh, they, they just they, they create this little reality app that makes sense for about a week uh, and then it mm. will just be blown wide open but they, that's all they need to do really is they just need to say a lie that will last for a day and they can because they're not they're never held to it uh, David no, no. David Sachs is continually saying that the counteroffensive has failed, but then he was also saying that Budenov was dead. Um, so who that's, who actually is David Sachs? What did he do before? Why did he become famous? Um, you know, I, I think he is a he runs a, po- a set of podcasts um, oh. with a company called Callin, and there's one podcast with some tech bros on it called All In Podcast, and they talk about crypto and. And car, uh, they talk about cars and and poker he, and things like that. I think I think uh, I've never listened to it. Um, ah, he was he was one of the he was the founding COO of PayPal. Oh, is that what he was? So oh, him, okay. that's why him and that's why him and Musk were like on this. Oh, okay, okay, um, fair enough. Um, but there's um, on this Callen sort of website, um, there's Brianna Gray, people like that. So. She's had a brush with NAFO, NAFO as well, hasn't she? Uh, do you know who I mean? The, she sort of smiled and rolled her eyes when someone said genocide oh, or something. Yes, yeah, so yes, she, works for, she works for him. Uh, isn't um, she meant to be some edgy leftist, but she's working for like an insanely rich... Yes, that's right. She was yeah. Bernie Sanders' assistant or something. <sighs> oh, yeah. uh, also, I, I'm just reading about David Sachs. He co-authored a book with Peter Thiel, the guy who wants us to live in the sea. And is a... <laughs> Um, he also co-founded, Pay- co-founded PayPal, and um, he- he's a long-termist. He's all of that mad stuff. Yeah. Uh, he oh, he took on Gorka. You know the. Um, oh, did he? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there's a whole hope, documentary about that. He, hopefully, yeah. we'll we'll bring up um, long-termism with um, Pekka later on. Uh, so yeah, all these people are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely horrible people. Yeah. Oh um, God. Uh, so, so their their copium is at the moment that now that Budenov isn't dead, their copium is that the counteroffensive, which hasn't started, has failed. <laughs> it's all over. It's all over. It's all over. It's finished. It's finished. Despite the fact that all um, those are dead. What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think there's been one sort of one sort of clip of a one single challenger to being in driven down a road in Ukraine. So there's not been any 
major armor defensives yet, as far as I know, apart from the one photo that Russia will use from every single yeah. possible angle, angle to um, show that it's failed. So, but it's uh, interesting as well because there has been several villages taken, and also there was a strike on that bridge. Uh, yes. Yep. Storm Shadow. Very, yeah. Yeah. The Storm um, Shadow. The and video that, was there. Yeah. There, there has that, been a video of that arriving and exploding. Yeah. And I don't know if it's a coincidence, but remember they did this in her song. Like they damaged the bridge enough so people got worried to leave, but not enough that they wouldn't. That you, you, do you remember that? And yes. I feel that yeah. I wonder if they're trying to do the same thing. Like, yeah, leave now while you can, because otherwise it's going to bomb yeah, you. Yeah. The, um, which is what I said is probably what they're going to do in the south. I don't yeah, think yeah. we're going to see a big push to bomb yeah. you enough until you leave. Yeah, they, so there's both bridges. There's two bridges that were hit, mm-hmm. and so effectively the um, the southern troops are cut off um, from. Crimean from the Crimean bridge now so that main way of supplying the troops has now effectively been shut off. I, I want to find out more about the damage. This is quite new news obviously so I suppose we'll find out more throughout the course of the day so maybe we'll know more soon. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, another. I, um, I think I, I shared an article from somebody who who um, could put more details on that. Uh, let me just have a look. Dum, dum, dum. You carry on talking, and I'll drag it out. Yeah, and I think this whole um, so, so I don't know somehow a, a strike on a bridge uh, or some liberation of villages means that it's failing. That doesn't really make any sense to me. But okay, it I, never I, makes it never makes sense, Joe. You know that. Um, yeah, I know. I I can't help but try to think rationally, and I really need to stop doing that with these people. <laughs> yeah, there, there is the. the you, they they just have to lie enough to make it through the day, basically. Um, so let's have be, a look. It must be kind of easy to live that life, or probably not, probably very hateful and lonely. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I found a good article from... Uh, like. So Nadine Brzezinski, uh, who is worth, worth a look on Medium. Um, so... She's just taken a quick look at what has happened. And so 70% of military traffic from Russia to Zaporizhia and Kherson has been cut off. So 70%. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Because the two bridges have been, have gone. So um, where are we? So there are three Chongar bridges. Is it Chongar or Hongar? Um... C-H-O-N-G-A-R. Uh, do you have this uh, Chonga Bridge? Uh, I want to. I'll get the Ukrainian spelling, and then yeah. I will be able to tell you. Chongharska in Ukrainian, so Chongha. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there's a there's a car bridge, an old, a new car bridge, an old car bridge, and a railway. So those mm-hmm. were attacked. The road bridge is the main artery, she says here, for transferring Russian troops from Crimea to the south. It hasn't been destroyed yet, but it will take weeks to repair. So that just took one hit from a storm shadow, apparently. Um, So there's an enormous hole in the middle, basically. So it just broke the top. They were hoping it would go through and break the support as well, but that didn't happen. So it may get hit again. Dum-dum-dum. So, so it's only the Kerch Bridge to go. Let's wait and see. I'm interested. I wonder if something will happen in the next few days. Uh, that might surprise us. But who knows, yeah. really? Who knows? Um, but it's just interesting that these storm shadows, which 
they're, they're old technology again it's old technology um they are sub they're not hypersonic or anything like that they've just got a normal turbo fan engine and they just sort of effectively sort of tootle along you know <laughs> they aren't mm. um super fast or anything uh they are super accurate though and they still can't shoot them down i think i saw a video of that was released i don't know whatever pantsir trying to shoot down a storm shadow they launched two rockets and they both missed <laughs> um, so this is one of their top of the range things and it's they still can't shoot it down so anyway last last night there was an attack in ukraine from, mm-hmm. from russia and it was aimed at helmitsky and apparently it, it, they were trying to hit where the storm shadows are they didn't mm-hmm. succeed in hitting what they hit i don't know whether it's true whether the storm shadows are there or not but yeah well, they, even they, if they, they, even if they were they won't be now well no <laughs> because they'll be moved um, fairly rapidly i would have thought I'm pr- yeah. I, yeah but it definitely shows that they're, they're quite worried about these missiles i think they have the potential to cause a lot of damage yeah. but, um, but the, the, the funny thing is these are being discontinued i think they're being replaced by another one um right. there's, a, there's a german version as well which is slightly longer range but then you look at the tomahawk which is the main cruise missile, isn't it? What would Russia do if if we if we said, oh, you know what? If you if you blow up the if you ever even think about doing that, we'll just give them all that to Tomahawk. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, it's just it's just. I just wish they'd stop. They just inflate everything. It doesn't do them any good, you know. Um, <laughs> does it? In the long run, it well, doesn't do them any good. That's what we were well, saying. But um, yes, but the counteroffensive has failed. Yeah, it's all over. It's all over. Oh, the cholera as well. Uh, yeah, that's 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 not nice. <laughs> well, yes. um, well, they blew up the dam and caused loads of um, intestinal and cholera, intestinal diseases, cholera for Russian troops. Um, so then the south, they're struggling with that as well. Um, plus, there'll be no fresh water now. Uh, there'll be no food coming and no bullets. So, yeah, they'll be going back to sticks soon, I, I guess. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel really bad. I feel like pretty awful about, you know, the normal people who are occupied in her son right now. Yeah. Because <sighs> it's bad for them and they're not getting the help. And the UN won't help because it's de- they, they can't be guaranteed safety by Russia or something like this. It's yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, um, very useful organization. Thank you. Yeah. Um, um, we need to take a serious look at the UN and Red Cross after this is finished, don't we? I think um, the fact that Russia have managed to hurt themselves in this is, you know, at least has some some justice there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And still no response from anybody about um, the dam from the west. In the west, that's just been the most disappointing thing, I think, from my point of view. Uh, yeah, I think it's pretty bad. Uh, and this is why I'm worried about the Zaporizhia thing because it just seems to be like, oh, we're concerned. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, although the U.S., some people in the U.S. said that actually that would constitute a violation of Article 5 uh, if they actually did something. Uh, I mean, I guess they they, they just is exactly the sort of line they should be taking. Yeah. Um, Uh, I I don't know what you do to prevent it because, yeah, it's tricky. And it's hard to work things out with Russia because Russia constantly sets these random red lines themselves, right? And yet we we push them and they don't do anything. There's no sense of a rational actor that to work things out with right yeah yeah. Um, that's it so this is why i can't understand why people say oh just negotiate it's like how how do you do that you know these people are quite willing to blow up a dam or a nuclear power station just because you know no apparent reason so right 
Yeah, I don't even know if they know their war games, their aims, sorry, anymore. I don't know what no, they, they do. I, I, it's like, what? I think Prigazin, oh, I still can't say these names. Prigazin, yeah. Um, he's he's started to um, go rogue, hasn't he? Um, again. Yeah, so he's, <laughs> he's, yeah, again. So he's, he, I think his least his statement was this eight years of attacks in Donbass, this genocide was all a load of rubbish. It was just the Russian military. So he's uh, he's basically going rogue now. It's interesting. Yeah. I've, I've noticed there's been a lot less references to Wagner from the Vatnex recently. They used to sell Wagner merch and all this sort of stuff, didn't they? Jackson Hinkle, all those people continually reference and it's suddenly stopped right uh, yeah almost basically as soon as they left back more it, 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 it they let it disappeared apparently i mean they still exist there's quite a lot of them but i have no oh, idea yes yes uh, but all the merchandising is. the constant references <laughs> just that, that stopped so it's obvious that they're getting directions from someone or somewhere you know they're being fed information or or fed lines to take or whatever so yeah because yeah. you can see it happening you know, you know it, it matches what happens on Russian TV almost perfectly, you know. Um, yeah. It's, it's just very it's, frustrating that nothing is ever done about these guys. Yeah, well, I suppose that's yeah. what we try yeah. to do. <laughs> I know. I think we should set Pecker onto them, you know. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just go for it. Yeah. Um, okay, so I guess we can move on to the next segment, so to speak. Yep, um, I don't think we've got anything else to say, I don't think. Nope. Cool. So, okay, so we'll move on to Pekka. So we have our guest today, Pekka. I'm not even going to try to say his surname. <laughs> Pekka of Vatnik Soup, let's just say. I think most people will know that. So Pekka, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. All right. I can. I can. I can do it. So Pekka Kallionim is my name, and Vatnik Soup is my game. <laughs> uh, so it's great to be here. We're honoured. Thank you. I've spent most of my time this week posting your um, RFK Vatnik Soup, actually. So um, oh, yeah. yeah, they they seem to be. He seems to be very popular at the moment in America, which is quite annoying. Yeah, they're pushing him. Uh, I think they want to deal maximum damage to Biden before he gets to the actual presidential election. So Yeah, but anyway, I mean, the guy's a complete crank. So you'd, you'd think they would have chosen someone with a bit of credibility, but there you go. Anyway. Yeah, I was I was speculating that like completely absurd to have uh, Robert Kennedy versus Donald Trump in the presidential <laughs> election. Oh. Like, who has the better conspiracy theory? <laughs> but anyway. Oh, dear. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, Pekka, maybe you'd like to start with just talking about who you are and maybe for someone who doesn't know, explain Vatnik Soup, uh, how, how you've... Managed to you said like how like when you started your Vatnik soups you had what eight hundred eighty eight hundred something followers and now you've got thousands. Yeah, so I actually I checked I had seventy two followers when I posted my first Vatnik soup, but it wasn't called called that back then. It was just uh, I wanted to kind of introduce Vatniks. So what is a Vatnik first of all? So mm. it's a person who spreads and so often believes uh, 
Kremlin propaganda. So pre- Kremlin main narratives uh, in relation to, I don't know, war in Ukraine, uh, energy crisis, inflation in the West, uh, NATO expansion, this kind of stuff. Vatnik is somebody who who supports and spreads those viewpoints. So I started writing about Finnish, uh, about the Finnish pro-Kremlin scene here in October. And then someone, for some reason, it kind of resonated with the Twitter crowd. And somebody suggested to me that uh, you should write about international Kremlin stars. And then it kind of quite quickly took off from there. There are 199 uh, Vatnik soups. So one soup is like one Twitter thread about a specific person. Uh, Now there's only one more, uh, which will come out in two parts in the near future and yeah my background is i'm i'm an academic so i try to kind of apply the academic standards to everything i do i i don't want to sound too I, when i write i try to kind of put it in a in a neutral way but sometimes it doesn't happen and, but anyway yeah that that's me a short mm-hmm. introduction what is your academic background exactly so i have a phd in, in interactive technology uh, mm-hmm. I've I've studied human technology interaction. So how us humans how we how we interact with technology and how it affects us. For example, I've I've done conducted research on social media, social media algorithms, uh, and disinformation. So uh, also how uh, social media kind of polarizes and how it, how algorithms are, are kind of promoting engagement over safety that's basically that's basically what i've been researching for the last years and this is incredibly relevant though when we see what's going on with i mean it's been relevant for a long time but i think it's more overt now than ever with twitter especially and other social media channels but obviously before that we had uh, disinformation being promoted online the algorithms uh promoting conspiratorial nonsense just because it feeds the algorithm and yeah, all of that fun stuff. Um, but it's it's unfortunately it just it's continually re- relevant, isn't it? Yeah, it's been for a long time. It's been quite relevant, but now I feel like Musk has kind of turned the whole thing up to eleven by kind of removing all uh, mechanisms that were kind of, were combating this spread of disinformation, and uh, now it's basically he's trying to implement this kind of marketplace of ideas approach where the best ideas just come up and those those will be spread around much more uh, than like bad ideas but the problem with that is that there was this study actually on twitter that fake news and this information spreads around six times faster than factual stuff mm. so there is a problem there it's it's uh i think he tries wants to create this kind of self-moderating mechanism but i just don't see it happening i don't believe in it let's put it that way yeah so do you think there is a way we could create a genuine marketplace of ideas or would it require more regulation or do you think that it's because we're operating usually within certain companies you know that you know walled garden so to speak you know facebook twitter whatever that there's always going to be an uneven playing field so to speak i mean i don't i uh, 
it's a nice idea, but I don't think it's possible in a very complex world where we live in. So maybe maybe an example. So for example, what what uh, Musk has done is now he's kind of ignored all requirements from EU uh, on on mm. kind of controlling the spread of this information uh, and also pretty much done the same in, 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 in some sense in the United States. But when countries like Turkey or, or I don't know, maybe some totalitarian regimes, they ask for censorship, then he kind of just does it. So mm-hmm. it's, he's, he's just shifted the focus of, of uh, I'm not going to talk about censorship, but kind of uh, regulation, uh, following regulations to different parts of the world. So I, I'd imagine that if, if, for example, he got some kind of request to censure information related to Saudi Arabia. He would do it. Uh, but mm. then when, for example, the EU uh, asks for for any kind of uh, moderation or regulation, he won't do it. So it's this is mm. kind of the shift that has happened during the uh, Musk leadership. Do you think he has an agenda or is he just not very smart or... No, <laughs> could be both, I guess. Because uh, I so... go back and forth on this all the time. Because sometimes, I, I mean, seeing a lot of his ideas and his failures, I think he's just not that bright. Um, but there, but that some things are just so ridiculous. Like you, you must be aiming for something, surely. Mm. I, I don't know. Well, I, I can probably answer that. There's a, a couple of. There's a guy called I don't know if you've seen him, Dave Troy. Yeah, he he's um quite up to speed on um. The, the some of the philosophy behind what Musk is on about, and there's another there's some other sites as well, philosophy for life and things like that. So the, the class, I think their class is um, what I would what, uh, what they call is long termism. Um, yeah, and, and that's not long termism as in how we see it, but you know where where they go. Oh, yeah, you need to plan for the long term, which is sort of five years, ten years. There, it's uh, um, it's sort of like an occult thing where you where they think that the people in sort of like a thousand years time have a have a better say over the present than we do because they uh, because there's more of the people in the future if you see what i mean um they also believe in augmenting humans to with um cyborg technology colonizing the galaxy so that's not just the solar system but colonizing the galaxy so that's not short term but that means you know in long term so in terms of thousands of years uh, so they believe that humans will be a like a super race um, it's very popular with the tech bros, um, if you if you know what that is. But it's definitely an, an interesting, <laughs> an interesting philosophy. Um, but you can see that he is trying to guide that sort of thing with Neuralink and SpaceX and stuff like that. Mm. It's quite terrifying as a concept because it does seem to go, oh well, we can make lots of sacrifices of humanity now or values and stuff because yes in the long term it will work out because they obviously know a bunch of tech bros in silicon valley they know the future i'm sure yeah, yeah. well that, that that's it and that's the, the the one thing that they fear most is um it's like an immediate um extinction event so the climate change they're not very bothered about because they think they can deal with that or it's not not totally important but the one thing they do fear is a nuclear annihilation of excessive that's like an extinction level event so that does explain um Mm. some parts why they fear nuclear escalation more than anything else Mm. it's because they they the it's like the adherents of this philosophy believe that extinction level events are very uh, even if there's just like a tiny chance 0.1 percent that outweighs any other problems if, if you see what i mean um, 
it just unbalances everything. Um, it's a very weird and dangerous philosophy. Um, Dave Troy, there you go. Take a look at him. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was good. I mean, I I, I agree with all that, uh, but I also uh, would like to say that Elon Musk borrows a lot of ideas from other people. Yes, so definitely. he he's gotten a lot of should I call it inspiration, but ideas from Joe Rogan, for example. A lot uh, uh. Joe Rogan has been talking a lot about this marketplace of ideas mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, also, David Sachs seems to be uh, affecting a lot many of his views related to the war, and then I mean just some random conspiratorial guys on Twitter with like some weird nicknames like Kaneko the Great or like even Catterd, like this big, big kind of meme uh, driven accounts that yeah. then spread some conspiratorial content. He's, he's even and, been linked uh, to a Divushka podcast guest, hasn't he? Oh God, what's, what's his name? Um, Ian something, the gamer guy, Ian Miles Chong. Oh yeah, Miles oh, Chong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they've also had a lot of conversation on Twitter Spaces okay. and also on on Twitter in general. Okay. So they comment each other's tweets and and so on. They they seem to be. And uh, I'm not sure if if it was uh, the one uh, tweet from Ian about the Starlink. So he tweeted, I think it was in September last year that. Uh, the offensive capabilities of Starlink should be turned off for Ukraine. And uh, this exact thing happened around five months later. But it's, I don't know, maybe I, I mean, I've, I've read about this Elon's quote, War, uh, war Room, uh, where they discuss, I suppose, business and probably also Ukraine, Russia, so on. So maybe maybe they've already discussed this idea before, but um, it, it, I think it was just interesting, like a few months before, uh, Ian Miles Chong had suggested turning off the offensive capabilities of Starlink, uh, and then a few months later it happened. We should probably move on from Musk, because I think we could talk about him for ages. <laughs> yeah, I do yeah, agree, can, I do... I do agree, though, it is a bit weird. And he does seem to just go along with whatever he hears. He doesn't seem a very critical thinker. Uh, but OK, but we talked about like disinf you know, disinformation. So obviously your work is very much in the vein of, of combating disinformation. Would that be fair to say? You know, and in your view, what is the importance of this? Uh, what is the importance of you know, grassroots efforts? Because you're, you said you, know, you don't think the marketplace of ideas can work properly. And I think I'm quite inclined to agree on this. But, you know, obviously we can't sit and do nothing. NAFO is an example of this. And I feel like your work is also an example of this. What is the importance of this and how can we, what can we do uh, best to at least make things as least bad as possible? So, yeah, I've discussed this a couple of times. So, for example, uh, legislation and regulation, they come slow. They, they come, it'll take at least I would say one year to actually get something done uh, and before the effects really hit. So that's why NAFO is such a good force, good force against this uh, Russian style of uh, fire hose of falsehood propaganda, which is like high volume on multi-channel uh, with multi-channel approach. So NAFO is kind of ridiculing that that whole system and the, all of the narratives that are being spread through uh, through uh, on social media with this with this uh, system. So NAFO has been extremely effective. I've I've called it on several occasions. I've called it the, the one of the most effective social media movements online. So it's it's been 
really good at what it does and it's 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 been nice to see that it doesn't really show any signs of slowing down so it's still going very strong i i feel like my work is part of nafo in a sense i i i consider myself uh part of nafo because what i want to do is is i want to expose these networks i want to show the similarities between uh different propagandists and agents so what is the origin of, for example of some of the main narratives that russia likes to spread like genocide in donbas and uh, uh nato expansion and military aid is not helping ukraine this kind of stuff so what are the main narratives and how are they spread throughout this whole network that's that's my goal and uh i hopefully i've at least uh, achieved a little bit of that that goal I would definitely say that because I've seen you've, you know, you've shown the some of the very personal relationships between different parties, which I never connected as like, oh yeah, actually make it seems really obvious once it's pointed out, but so often you just get this from different from what appears to be different sides, but you realize, oh no, they really are just coming from the same place one way or another. It's yeah, I think it is really valuable. And just but what is you're finishing the 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 threads and you're 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 changing direction a little bit, right? Uh yeah. So I would like to do what I would like to do is uh, YouTube videos where I kind of add more video, more images, and maybe kind of put myself more into this whole thing. So I um, I don't know why, but I feel like I I. I could deliver the information even better by just producing videos where I talk about these issues. I can show graphs, I can show timelines. So it's it's more visual, it's more multimedia approach. Lately, I've been thinking that I'll also kind of integrate it into Twitter. So I don't want to get rid of these threads altogether. I just want to kind of get rid of the Vatniksu hashtag or series. So I'm, let's just say that it's it's still evolving. I think it's going to be crap in the beginning. It's going to be, it's going to suck, but hopefully people stay for a while and I'm, I'm sure it'll get better, like, like Vatniksu did, in my opinion. Any form of content creation has its rough beginnings. We we certainly did. We still do. We're still learning as we're doing this, for example. It's just how it is. It's just everything takes a learning curve. But yeah, I think there is a value to that like more visual stuff. It will take probably time to build up, but I think it probably could be really useful. Um, it is interesting how your Fatnik suits have really, hmm, re as it's grown, it's also got so much like criticism of people making these ridiculous threads about you in your style, which I find really funny, but they're just so bad. Ah, uh, like it's just really weird when people and and um, let's not ever forget Kim.com. Ah, oh, that was funny. That was really funny to watch. Maybe not for you at the time. I don't know. Yeah, I have to say, I, I was. I'll admit it. I was a bit scared because I've never been. Uh, I've never been sued for anything. It might still be coming. I haven't heard from him. He blocked me on Twitter, so uh, there's that. But uh, I don't think he's gonna do it. But someday it might happen. Some people might consider what I do a defamation. I don't think it'll hold in court, at least in Finnish court, because. Basically, what I do is I, I collate information and then put it in a neat form for people to kind of easily digest like a, like a soup. So it might happen, uh, but it really made the channel much, much bigger. The whole uh, Kim.com thing. So first there was the Don, Don Bashkevushka. That was 
that was ah uh, yeah already quite big it was a first page of a front page of wall street journal uh nafo was mentioned so it was a big thing for the whole movement of course uh and then we can have after that we had the king.com thing so yeah that was crazy times i think i was a bit stressed out uh and I, around that time i also decided okay i i need to wrap up the thing and move on to something else that's even more provocative in a sense yeah one thing one thing that shocked me is the is the interconnections between individuals and people uh groups organizations when when we when i read your fatnik soups as, as i think joe's already said it you go oh there's that and then because we we um i I sort of helped out a tiny bit with your uh, LaRouche and Schiller uh, suit, but I didn't realise that um, King Kim.com was linked to those guys as well. And you just learn learning all the time about this, and you don't and you don't realise just how much they shape how people think and how people behave. And I just think it's underestimated the impact these guys have had over the last few years. Or so I, I don't know how long they've been operating in this way. Maybe you can explain. You know, when when you think these sort of operations started, maybe I don't know. So, um, if we talk about on social media or online operations, I would say that the year was around 2013 when Russia started their information operations, and for a very long time we were quite clueless about this. So this was actually 2013 was the year when Yevgeny Prigozhin launched the Internet Research Agency, and they started practicing uh, inside Russia. So back then, Russia still had an opposition. Probably the toughest time for Putin was around 2011 and 20 between 2011 and 2013, when there was there were a lot of demonstrations and uh, kind of protests against him because he came back and people were like, okay, we don't want Putin anymore. You've been president for too long and so on. So they kind of had to control the narratives, uh, narrative in the real world, but also online. So Internet Research Agency was tackling this. So they were basically the 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 initial idea was to defame the opposition, but at the same time praise Putin kind of thing. So the only rule was don't don't say anything negative about Putin. Then opposition um, was completely destroyed. So uh, 2015 Nemtsov was uh, murdered and uh, they basically got almost got rid of Navalny and so on. Anyway, kind of this protest movement protest movement in Russia died down. So then they started focusing on on the so-called decadent West and Ukraine, of course. So of course uh, it was like a natural shift from uh, inside Russia to the West and also to Ukraine where they started promoting their pro-Russia message. So yeah, 2013 uh, was probably the starting point and for a long time it took a very long time for the intelligence community and uh for I, I don't know common folk to actually see what's happening so we were manipulated for a long time this brings me to the next question you know okay so we talked about you know people like ourselves and you know grassroots combating of disinformation what you know how it's valuable because it responds quick but what do you think people like like government bodies, think tanks, academics, intellectuals, uh, intelligence communities. I know they all are different, they're very different from each other. But, you know, the the people we would perhaps expect to do something. What should they do to combat this sort of disinformation? In your opinion, uh, I mean, that's a tough question. We need high 
high, uh, or we, we need high quality research on the topic. So basically you have to, uh, you, you need some tools to identify, for example, these networks, how they work, what are the main narratives that uh, people have already looked into. So uh, like, because you can always find connections between things. So kind of mapping out these networks uh, is very important work. And there is an American uh, researcher called René de Resta. I don't know if, if you know her, but she's done an amazing job researching disinformation on social media, uh, especially on Facebook. And what has happened recently is people have been attacking her and her work. So they've been kind of putting her down, defaming her work. So that's kind of, uh, so it, it's kind of indicative of that she's making waves somewhere. So as soon as you have somebody who actually makes a difference, for example, in academia, they usually get attacked. It, it happened to the Swedish research academic uh, when he started writing about uh, internet research agency, so they they wrote a part of uh, a lot of well bad stuff about him online and on 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 fake news blogs and so on. So anyway, I think high quality research kind of that map out these networks is crucial, but also this kind of grassroots NAFO kind of activity where you ridicule the the narratives and this kind of Russian style high volume propaganda. I mean, I'm a bit worried. Uh, um... NAFO is very limited to Twitter. Do you think we need to expand beyond Twitter? Or what, what do you th think of this? This is something I, I think about quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, TikTok is Wild Wild West. A lot of, uh, I would say, most of, of propaganda or disinformation is now happening on TikTok. Mm -hmm. uh, Facebook is a bit better in a way that they have this kind of external fact-checking system that is quite effective. It's it's not, you shouldn't say it for granted, but it's, it's pretty good. They have a lot of different NGOs and organizations that are working with fact-checking uh, related stuff. Twitter is horrible in that sense. There is the community notes they don't work. The problem with community notes on Twitter is that before they they kind of come out, the tweet has been seen by 20 million people. And we, as people, we are kind of simple in a sense that we tend to believe the first uh, version of the story. So when we read about, I don't know, Nord Stream sabotage, we kind of tend to believe what we hear first. So uh, of course, we kind of also put it into our own our own view of the world, and we are also affected by propaganda from different uh, channels. But uh, we kind of tend to put more emphasis on the first version. So it's been, let's say, seven days or six days, you get the community notes there. It's been seen by 20 million people. One percent of those people who've read the original tweet get to actually see the, see the community notes. So... It's a big problem. There, there is way too long delay in in kind of this uh, correcting acts that correct disinformation or try to put things into context. So in that way, like actually being on Twitter is so valuable because there is so few checks and balances against disinformation proliferating, basically. Yeah, and also because it's uh, it's still uh, the go to social media platform for politicians for decision for policy makers for journalists so in in that mm -hmm. sense it's it's a very crucial platform because for example many journalists get their information from twitter it's like their initial starting point for reporting 
And I know this because people have kind of people have reference, for example, to my work. People have asked comment on something that I wrote. So I know that because I, I've, I've seen it happening many, many times. Um, so just going back one second. Um, so just to clarify the point, you said that the main thing we need to do is to identify disinformation, understand the networks. But what do you think is the role of like government bodies? Do you think there are certain policies we should be pursuing or anything like this? Yeah, policy making is always difficult. Uh, it takes a lot of sure. time. Legislation is difficult. It takes a lot of time. And uh, there's always the danger that laws can then later be used for harmful purposes, for example. So I'm I'm basically I'm against censorship. Uh, I'm, I'm not I wouldn't call myself free speech absolutist, but I still feel like everybody should be able to say uh, their opinion on things uh, as long as it doesn't harm or, or as long as it's, it's legal but again it's this is something that i've been thinking a lot and uh i think i i really don't have a clear answer you know in a sense that okay this should be done or this kind of law could be done uh what i would like to do is i would like to sit down with uh some like real experts on on this kind of stuff and kind of talk it out because i feel like i'm i'm the person who's kind of in the field i'm i'm out there on twitter so i know what's happening like the day-to-day -day stuff but maybe some kind of like strategist could tell me what could be done or so i would like to have these kind of discussions in in the future with policymakers and people who kind of uh formulate legislation yeah because i think this is something i've been thinking about i'd like to do some more research into you know it's that balance it, it's you know does disinformation fall under legitimate speech can we is it more like certain forms of violent hate speech it, when its intention is different can we categorize that but then we run into a different a difficult ball game of or who's determining what's disinformation? If the government says disinformation, that for authoritarian regimes, they can use that to quash dissent, right? And then we've ended up, it's as dangerous as well. And obviously we should perhaps encourage grassroots movements like NAFO, but once the state gets involved then, then are we undermining the core essence of it? Is the solution education? But then also there's a problem there that takes time and education and people are still have their biases yeah i think like honestly it's it's a, it's a really difficult one and we can come up with something in theory but the practicality of it that's where we, we discussed this with um paul massaro didn't we yeah um, and he 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 advocated letting um western government employees go on twitter or or instagram or whatever in the same way that um ambassador yulanov and the russian embassies and the chinese officials and things like that uh people like that they go online. He would, that was what he was advocating. But whether or not they'll ever, he said they were too, they're too risk averse, was what he was saying, um, which I think we see. I mean, I'm really worried about RFK Jr. The amount of vaccine misinformation has just gone absolutely ballistic since he announced his candidacy. So you can see that it's quite deliberate what they've done. But there seems to be zero pushback at all from. Uh, the the American officials, American government, is sort of like, oh yeah, that that's fine. Just he's he's a candidate; he can say whatever he wants now. But the things he says are are blatantly untrue, and he's sort of verging into Russian propaganda in terms of Ukraine. So 
does that fall under free speech or is that actually getting to be close to more close to a fifth column i, d- I don't know but it, that's what that's it, it's absolutely gone mental on the left in in america at the moment which i guess was the purpose it's a real problem and we we can see it happen because we're there on the ground but we can also see the lack of the lack of action um from those up above who who have just sort of yeah it'd be all right but i'm not sure it will at the moment i'm really i'm really <laughs> Sorry, it's just that he's 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 in my in my mind at the moment, and I'm just wondering. Yeah, if yeah, a... yeah, I think he's in everybody's mind at the moment. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, is there anything? So... What, what do you think about him? Is he? I mean, his lines match the the Russian lines almost identically, don't they? Yeah, I, I would imagine that somebody's feeding the information to him. Probably, I mean. I would say that it's probably quite challenging to run for president and at the same time be aware of every issue around the world. So, uh, but it seems that he's focused, well, he's been focused on the vaccines for a long time, uh, but now he's also doing commentary on the war, probably because he's kind of flirting with the, you you must know the horseshoe theory, so kind of like far left, far right, uh, united thing where people try to fade out the idea of left and right politics rather than something that's good for the country. Or So we shouldn't get involved in wars that do not affect our day-to-day. We should focus on our own country, getting jobs to everybody and welfare and so on. So it's kind of this isolationist idea that Trump had. So we let others worry about their own problems. I still feel like uh, RFK Jr. will be completely demolished uh, in the, the democratic elections or who, who will become the presidential. But uh, they'll they'll try and do maximum damage to Joe Biden's reputation before that. And uh, of course, after that too. Yeah. So they try to kind of maximize the time that they can inflict damage on, on his reputation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess the, the Ron DeSantis has started to move towards a pro-Ukrainian sort of model, hasn't he? So, I mean, from NAFO's point of view, it doesn't really matter what the internal politics are, as long as they're not lying about about Ukraine, right? So, it's I guess at the moment therefore they 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 are assuming that Trump will be the candidate, but I don't know. Anyway, I mean, for all his bluster, um, DeSantis has some sort of links to the traditional. Republican movement in America. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe, you previously mentioned that. Well, you had you had the uh, discussion with Paul that pro-Ukrainian politicians should get more involved in in, for example, on discussions on Twitter. I think the problem there is that they have to rely on the truth, whereas you take uh, I don't know Donald Trump, who basically almost every word he says. Is a lie. He, he, I mean, he lied twenty times a day during his presidency. So they are not kind of restricted by this uh, sticking to the truth idea. So um, I feel like it's not what's the is it saying like level playing field or what's the saying? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's not it's not an even game when uh, others can just lie as much as they want and. Basically, you still have to, on the other side, you have to rely on the truth because if you get caught with one lie, that's it. That's it's not it's not an even position, in my opinion. I I think that is a problem 
Um, and that's probably why we can't rely too much on politicians to do this um, with the processes and everything that will get in the that will get in their way. The processes which are meant to yeah. uphold certain principles and rules which are meant to be good, right? And if you get rid of them, then they, yeah. <sighs> and you shouldn't trust politicians either way. In my no, opinion. no. So yeah, uh, for me, I, I, I mean, don't. I, <laughs> Yeah, for example, when I do my threats uh, uh, for Batnik Soup, my ideal is always going for the truth. So what is the, the truth? I, I don't think we can achieve the ultimate truth ever. It's just something that as, as humans, it's it's out of reach. But that's that's something that we should always thrive for. We should always try to reach the truth. And uh, so that's, that's basically why I do what I do. And it's also a reason why I often despise politicians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's entirely fair. Because ultimately, truth is more important. A lot of politicians, even ones which, like right now, I might be on the side of with Ukraine or whatever, they all have, they all still have their goals, ultimately. And it's not an anti-political thing. I think democracy is important, but we, there's nothing wrong with valuing truth above everything else, right? Yeah, I mean... We should all have some ideals in life, and truth is is something that I'm I'm trying to kind of reach in what I do. I have one. Sorry, Matt, do you have something to add? Because I have just one last question for Peckham. Yeah. yeah, it's just my um. I just have some favourites on the on Vatnik soup. So I'm I'm just going to ask one of the obvious um sort of questions. What's your favourite one? The one you, oh, either, yeah, you yeah. enjoyed, the one you enjoyed the most writing, or the one you enjoy the most reading? Which what what do you what do you reckon? I, I I have to say I I like the one about Ian Miles Chong because oh, okay. it, it turned out to be such a great story. It was almost impossible for me to kind of believe that how is how is somebody like this? I'm also something that I'm always kind of looking for is a hypocrisy. So I'm not going to say I've enjoyed, but it's been interesting reading about these so-called Kremlin kids, these politicians and uh, Kremlin propagandists and pundits and so on who've sent their kids to study in NATO countries or go on vacations to Italy and so on. So it's kind of like it's so hypocritical. Uh, and I, I feel like it's also this kind of hypocrisy has resonated with a lot of people. So I would say that those probably, but it's it depends on the day. Sometimes I like the ones about the Finnish uh, because they are they are here and I read about them almost on on daily basis. Uh, sometimes I enjoy reading, well, well not enjoy reading, but uh, I find interesting these about the Russians because it's such a strange culture. But yeah, it depends. Depends on the day, but I'd be, I would say that the Anmal Chong, which is the most popular Watnik soup so far, I think that's my favorite. Okay. He's an interesting character, and I, yeah, I remember reading it because I didn't know his history beforehand. And he went from some from a liberal guy to being Elon Musk's main cheerleader, didn't he? And sort of cat turd type person. What happened there? You know, very odd. And it, yeah. Very odd, and he, yeah, yeah. he even he even appeared on the Divushka podcast, didn't he? Yeah, he he did, and I think it, in my opinion, he well, it, it's uh, my theory is that he realized that you cannot really get any attention by being. I don't know, uh, agreeable, nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> agreeable and nice. You kind of have to be controversial to be noticed on social media. Mm. And now he's exactly that. He's he's kind of this big character. Doesn't feel what, what genuine a good life. To me. What not? It's not a good life. I don't think exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. How about you, Joe? What what would you reckon is your favourite? Oh, I don't know. If, if, I'm very tempted to say Steven Seagal because even though I know everything about him, he's just a hilarious human being. I mean, it's awful. Probable rapist, human trafficking, uh, violent person who runs weirdly weird and looks like a baked potato. But I, I just it's just it's so entertaining as well. And I don't know if you've ever read his book. Or any of his book, he can't. His book is terrible. His music's terrible. Everything's hilarious. So I just find the, the anything about him is just entertaining for me in a very <laughs> I, dark way. I just think about the um, carrot, the picture of him eating the carrot. That's exactly, all I can. Yeah, the that's carrot all I video. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't that's know. It. It's so absurd. It's like this guy is in Belarus, yeah. <laughs> eating carrots and uh, I don't know, praising watermelons or whatever. It's it's just so absurd. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, yeah. I think my favourite has to be um, has to be Larouche. I I'm an absolute. I I just absolutely love the really really weird ones, you know, and um, the, yeah, the, the cultist stuff. Yes. Ah. Oh, yeah, I, I like them too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, it's um, there's 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 a little branch. So there is actually a, a madder version of them called Space Larouche. Um, they do have a website called Space Commune, if anyone is interested. Um, all your favourite LaRoucheites appear on their podcast. It's worth a listen uh, if you like complete, <laughs> complete madness. <laughs> but, they, but they have tentacles everywhere and then you realise just what's going on. And it's absolutely, say when I first came across them, I thought, no, they, so they know this person, they've done this person and they've spoken to that person that person and they and this just like a massive list of people and you just wonder how what what is going on there you know Tulsi Gabbard I think Jackson Hinkle but they fit into the horseshoe theme don't they they are 100% behind the horseshoe aren't they yes. yeah yeah the, the far uh, the, the the left right thinking yes outdated and we have to come as together and yeah this kind of yeah stuff. the new paradigm they call it i think yeah uh, um their their rally had extreme right i mean we're talking ultra right and ultra left it was a bit odd at their rally seeing um people with communist uh, with the russian soviet flag and not actual nazi flags as well together and you think this is this is not going to end well <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like we could have another maybe three hours of, of podcasting. Oh, <laughs> it's just, just, which I'm just getting warmed up with all this. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go I'm enjoy. glad I you think... enjoyed. I'm glad yeah, you enjoyed. I do, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think I, there was one question. I So Finland has a good, developed a good reputation for misinformation education, possibly cited as one of the best in the world. I mean, how do you how is that perceived in in Finland? It is good. Yeah, I agree. There, basically, the idea of talking about disinformation it starts in preschool already. So you, there are fairy tales and stories that are told to children about lying and uh, how what are the consequences of lying and so on. We have a lot of studies on media literature. Literature. Uh, sorry. Uh, Lit- um, literacy. It- yeah, yeah, literacy. literacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I call it the Finnish antidote. So what have been done? We also have a very free press. Even even those fake news blogs like Amvelehti, which is the biggest in Finland, they can they can operate, but they are also often criticized for what they do. But uh, journalists are not harassed. They are very well protected in their work. Good journalists. They even kind of dig into the uh, corruption and bad stuff the government is doing. So I feel like it's very crucial. Uh, but there's also a lot of research into the future 
of journalism and the future of social media because we have the AI is going to change the whole thing. So there's a lot of research and money put into the idea. It's we, we, it's being it's called security of information. I'm not sure. It's I think it's security of supply. Uh, when when for example, if if every other country closed their borders with Finland, we we could still supply about eighty percent. Uh, of food and this kind of water and so on. So we are, we put a lot of effort to this kind of security of supply. But we also discuss the the security of information. So how can we protect official channels from disinformation, from propaganda, and how can we make sure that the, the information that goes around to people is is genuine communication rather than uh, something malicious or evil? So. That's something that I, I I find a good approach. Uh, I just have one last question, and then I'll let you get on with midsummer celebrations. What is something that you perhaps wish more people understood about disinformation or the people in your soups, the connections between them? What is like something you really want to hammer home to people that would be your 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 main message, so to speak? Yeah. So I. Uh... I would I would say that may, my main message for a while has been that people should give new information some time. So we shouldn't like as soon as we read something, we shouldn't share it. We shouldn't kind of make any uh, judgment based on it. So, for example, if we if we read a tweet about Putin doing something, or I've sometimes used the the missiles that flew into Poland as an example. So two of these Ukrainian missiles uh, flew into Poland and everybody was saying immediately that they came from Russia and this will be in Article 5 or for NATO and so on. So it evolved really fast into this kind of hype situations where people were expecting World War Three or something. But then you give the, the whole story some time and it, it turns out to be something completely different. So what we do is we immediately react and we immediately kind of start spreading information that hasn't been confirmed. And that's a big that's the biggest problem on social media. That's the reason why this information spreads so fast, because it's this fast paced uh, thing where we quickly react. So I would say that people should give news sometimes. So maybe give a story a day or two to evolve and another thing is that some point i i'm not very good at this but people should just turn off all of their digital devices and go out in the nature mm -hmm. uh, enjoy try to just maybe kind of anchor themselves into the presence and uh, enjoy fam their families their um, like nature and this kind of stuff go do something else because uh, social media tends to be quite negative, especially if you're focused on, on the war. So take some breaks. Yeah, I think that's really important. Matt, do you have anything to add before we let Pekka go? Um, no, I just thanks a lot and looking forward to the YouTubes and um, uh, lots of lots more weird culty networky type things. That'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll I'll look into the cults. <laughs> I've, I've been looking into Q, QAnon and it's still quite ah, yeah. strong. Yeah. Different uh, kind of, uh, I don't know. There, there are subcults, so and they are interesting, for mm. sure. Yeah, and linked um, to um, General Flynn as well. The, the um, 
And then from him, yeah, yeah, could... this reawaken America thing. But there are other smaller, yeah, yeah. even weirder things. Okay. So I think you're going to enjoy them. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, you, you can trace them to Dugan, can't you? Uh, but anyway, we, we, yeah, 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 that's really cool. Where can people find your YouTube? And also, do you have anything you'd like to shout out? Any like fundraisers or anything you'd like to promote before you leave? Um, yeah, you can find me on on Twitter. P under slash what is it? uh p underscore well, anyway yeah you, you can you can find me on twitter <laughs> by typing my name in and the youtube channel is called the soup central soup central it might be difficult to find because uh, there are no videos yet there will be in in the near future yeah about uh charities um i don't usually condone or uh, really uh advertise many charities but uh I guess this is more to the uh, for for Finnish people. I I've been supporting this your Finnish friends uh, movement that provide equipment to the soldiers Finnish soldiers who are fighting in Ukraine against Russian troops. So that's I've I've found them to be very. I mean they're a good organization. I mean the the Ukrainian the official Ukrainian crowdfunding sources are of course also reliable. But cool. that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Here at the Think Tank, we are the only British podcast running anti-beer ads. Heineken remains doing business in Russia, so take that beer money and instead put it to critical life-saving aid at u24.gov.ua. Your donations to U24 will provide critical aid for communities forever destroyed due to flooding. Now enjoy the rest of the show. Uh, okay, so thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for listening to our conversation with Pekka. Thank you to Pekka for coming along. Uh, I hope maybe he'll come back sometime in the future. Yeah, um, yeah, but again, thank you for listening. And I think for me... Who would I like to anything sh- to call out this week? That's what I'm thinking. I actually... There has been generally... What's... What have I shared this week? I've, I've been a bit less active this week. I've just been a little bit too busy. Mm-hmm. But constant, uh, I see, uh, I, I've, there, there's some auctions, there's some... Ah, I know who I'm going to shout out this week. I'm going to shout out the uh, Flork fella, uh, Flork oh. of Cows, for uh, letting Nafo use the, his little Flork, the little Flork fellas, uh, for merchandising, which will go and help Ukraine. Ah, okay. Uh, go and buy a Flork merchandise. Hey, official NAFO fellas, I'm calling you out. I'm promoting you. You know, can I have some money, please? Um, <laughs> so, are they? Are they? Um, are they? Is he being authorized and all that sort yes. of stuff? Yes, oh, that's, yes, that's great news. That's really cool. Uh, and this is why everyone's getting little flock fellas, flockellas, or <laughs> fellorks. Fellorks. I think that's probably the best way of putting it, isn't it? They are really cool, aren't they? But I just can't. I can't bear to part with my with my original fella. I, just... I don't know where I don't know when I swap back how I will balance them because I like them both so much. I mean, I may buy one myself. Like before, it was cool. Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. I think I was the first homemade one actually. I would just say, yeah. That. yeah um, it, but... it, it was it was my fellow anniversary a few days ago. By the way, seventeenth. Congratulations, congratulations. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, how's it been for the last twelve months? For you? <laughs> how's it been? Honestly, it's probably kept me sane. I, I think it was really valuable mm-hmm. to me. Um, when I joined, I was not in Ukraine. I was dealing with 
a lot of shock from having the war affect me quite personally, trying to mm-hmm. adjust my life. Mm-hmm. And NAFO gave me, and you know, obviously I wanted to combat disinformation on Twitter, but you know, it's always such a lonely thing and such a horrible thing. And NAFO was so nice to be part of a community where we all had each other's backs and could help each other. I think it generally kept me sane. It, it kept me motivated to stay on social media and try to share information with people. And yeah, I've been delighted to be right. part of NAFO. So yeah, cool. it's been a mad 12 months. It's taken up a lot of my time. My brain definitely doesn't think the same way anymore about things like the words nonsense. And... <laughs> <laughs> but but generally, it's been a good year. What about you? Well, not uh, a good year in most ways, but good year as in, in terms of Kept, I think it's kept you going. I don't. Uh, I mean, yeah. yeah I think, yeah, what an amazing change it has, there has been. I think, and um, I think, well, Pekka referenced the um, impact Dave has had, and several other people have as well. Um, so, just have to keep going. We've kept going so far, haven't we? We're doing all right. We have, yeah, we have mentions in the media. Uh, we can promote something to turn up on Russian propaganda when we say someone is dead. We, uh, <laughs> we have shops. We um, have we, politicians. We can, yeah, we can take out. Us. Yeah, we can take out um, Russian podcasts as well and expose them as a spy and have appear on Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Um, and all this started because didn't uh, Karma want a patch? From yes. Georgian Legion. Yes, that was basically it. Yeah, and he yeah, he, yeah. he drew the he drew the he made a little fella on his phone. Yeah, and someone else wanted it and donated to the Legion, and yeah, and there we go. Yeah. And somehow yeah. we changed the entire face of disinformation. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, um, I'm going to call out um, a particular account actually, and it's not. Um, uh, it's a Ukrainian artist, um, so I don't know if you've heard of him. It's Frionis. Um, and his account is um, free, honest, and then an underscore. Um, absolutely brilliant videos. Um, he does have a buy me a coffee and a Patreon and a YouTube channel, so please go and visit that. And if you've got a spare a uh, couple of quid, throw some him his way because uh, we should support all Ukrainian artists and uh, content makers, um, I think. Um, he's got some Telegram stickers as well, um, but his, he started producing sort of educational um, videos um, oh. and they're absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And his latest one involves a shark. I'll say that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and head over to his, to his um, Twitter account and um, take a look. Um, he makes some really, really um, excellent points, uh, but in a humorous way. Uh, and it's quite, if, if you've not spoken to Ukrainian people or you need to get over the idea that maybe a peace deal isn't a good idea or, you know, there isn't this not both sides or anything like that, then his videos are an excellent way of introducing those those sort of concepts to people. Um, Was he the one that did the guy with like the peace and the the piece and there's a little soldier and he's running across the That's, that is indeed him yeah his and, and the hand is flicky uh, like putting him back yes like, yes that's him yeah um so it's free honest free o n i s um his latest one involves a shark um it's <laughs> oh a, the shark and the pope I see um wow. so head on head on over and um, buy him a coffee that's what I'll say. 
and as usual, donate to things. Find find causes to donate to. Yep. Still help her song. Donate to U twenty four. Donate to the Georgian Legion. Yeah. Donate to the 69th Sniffing Brigade. Yeah. Buy a donate. buy a mug. Buy a flock. Any, buy anything a flock, like that. Yeah. Buy a hat. Um, yeah. yeah do, oh, do I will tell you something else that happened. I was wearing my um, official NAFO um, hoodie with uh, Slava Ukraini on the back, and I got a tap on my shoulder in the uh, post office, <laughs> and. A Ukrainian chap started speaking to me in Ukrainian, and I just <laughs> went, I went, hello, hi, and oh, he went, oh, uh, and we had a nice chat, and he is a refugee living in the town nearby, um, oh. and he's doing okay. Um, he was unable to um, join up for various reasons, uh, mainly because he was too old, but he's doing okay, and um, it was um, it was just brilliant to see, and we ended up hugging. And he Aww. was just away. He was just so he couldn't believe that there are people walking around, just um, just uh, just expressing support, you know. Um, and I just he just said it meant a lot. So this, this is really important, I think, because a lot of Ukrainians. I mean, uh, um, some people, especially if they're abroad, they might feel people don't really care so much now. Mm-hmm. But also. You know, I think it goes back to 2014. No one really cared about Ukraine. No one really paid any attention. Yeah. And I think to, to see overt support from foreigners, it, it does mean a lot. And that's why it is important to show symbolic support. Um, like people go like, oh, you put a flag in your bio, you're wearing it, you're not changing anything. It's like, okay, I'm not making the war any different, but I'm showing support to Ukrainians and that will make people feel better. People who are victims of war. It actually does make a difference. Yeah, so, and yeah. I, yeah I, can, I, can, I can say that it absolutely does from personal experience now. Um, the guy was just so, so pleased. Just <laughs> A, to see Ukrainian written down in England, right. <laughs> you know, in, the po- in a random post office, because it, <laughs> it shows that it's not just... A social media construct, you know, and that, right. that, we, that we don't work just we don't work for the CIA, you know. We're people <laughs> we're people in the UK who go to the post office and you know we go shopping and we aren't bots or whatever we get called, you know. We're yeah. just people, and it it means a lot. So if there are Ukrainian people walking around and they see a a NAFO um, hoodie or a hat or whatever, they they know. That we're on their side uh, it's important exactly exactly yeah yeah cool um that's a good place to end i think i think so thank you for cool. listening thank you see you next time <laughs>